0: Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church podcast. We hope this week's message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's word together. Our mission at Reach is to see lives changed by Christ together in community by loving God, loving people, and reaching our world. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at ReachCommunityChurch.com. Today, we start the book, of James, So never ever in the history of reach have I perched, preached line by line through an entire book, um, and we're doing it this summer. So um, good news is you know exactly what I'm preaching next week. I'll actually tell you the verses so you can read over them. I encourage you as we're going through just to maybe read. It's short. You can read in about 15, 20 minutes is read James once a week. Um, because it will do things inside of you um, that we all need. So let me give you a little history before we get into the book. So the book of James was written, and this isn't really debated, this is pretty concrete that they believe that the book of James was written by the half-brother of Jesus. The letter was written early, um, sometime between eighty. 45 and 62. We know at least by 62 because he was um, murdered at 62 by the Jewish council, Um, but most likely before 49. So this is within 20 years of the crucifixion. This letter is being written to the church, and we think that um, that it was written before 49 because uh, in 49 was when they had the Jerusalem council. So the the church was spreading out, Gentiles were getting saved, the Holy Spirit was changing their life, and they had a conference that James actually led to figure out what are we going to do, because we have non-Jews are entering into our fold, like what do they have to do, what, do they, you know, what, are, what are the requirements, so they had this meeting um, to solidify what's going on, and one thing that you'll notice in this book is that it was written solely, at least from the way it reads, to Jewish Christians. So there wasn't really any reference to Gentiles, so we think this was early because of that. Because pretty soon after this, um, almost all the other epistles are going to deal with some type of, it'll mention or bring up Gentiles into it. Uh, One crazy thing about this, James being his half-brother, James did not believe Jesus was the Messiah until after the resurrection. Could you imagine growing up (laughs) with a sibling and, you know, your mom going, he's the Lord, (laughs) he's the Messiah. Like the angel appeared to me, and I'm sure all the brothers knew it, and they're like, well, it didn't didn't feel like that to me. I I don't know. I've never looked at one of my brothers and go, future Messiah. Future Messiah, and James didn't either. And actually, the family on a couple of occasions—one that's recorded—is they actually went to go, like, kind of thought he's lost it. We need to. Oh man, we 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 need to bring him. Is this me? Am I moving? Okay, we're we're good. We're good. Sorry. So, you know, you just don't think, hey, you know, my brother is going to lead to this. And so the family went to go kind of, because the people were just like bombarding Jesus. They were following him like it was going crazy. They went to go kind of rescue him to pull him away and be like, hey, I don't think Jesus is feeling very well. We're going to bring you back home and try to bring you, um, recover some of this stuff that's going on. But it's hard to deny the truth when you know your brother was murdered. You were probably close enough to see this happen. You may even been present when he died, and you see him died. You see him going into the tomb, and he appears to you. The resurrection really is what hinges Christianity without the resurrection um, there is no hope like we we can just if if you When you face trials of different kinds, this is a trial. I'm, I'm, I'm used to using both hands, so if I throw this down, I'll, you'll know that I'm just used to, to doing that. So Jesus appears to James and settles the fact, and, and nothing slows James down after that moment. Nothing. I mean, he he is the leader of the church in Israel, like it, like I said in the Jerusalem Council in uh, Acts fifteen, which you can read about. Um, he's the one that's kind of hosting that. He he. After Peter leaves to go do his missionary journeys, he's in charge up until like sixty two. Uh, there's a change of guard in the Roman rule, and the the um, Jewish synagogue takes an opportunity to murder. They're um, the leader of the church thinking we're going to get we, we, we got rid of Jesus to save the people because it's better for us to lose one than to lose our whole nation. And um, so like that didn't really work. The church is growing like wildfire. And then they're like, well, we'll get rid of his brother. Uh, and that didn't work either. But they literally threw him, I think, down, stoned him and beat him. I mean, it was a miserable, miserable death. But that was in 62. So James is also considered kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's wisdom. It's not um, like a lot of the letters are written, written to things that are actually going on, which this does a little bit, but this is more uh, a regurgitation of Jesus' word. So if, you, if you're familiar with the New Testament gospels, you're going to hear a lot of the similar things. James is just reminding the church that they need to live it out. And that's primarily what the book of James is about. There is wisdom. And lots of us know wisdom. They know We know things that we shouldn't do. And we still do them. Like, I, I don't know about you. Um, I have not figured everything out. I do not live perfectly. I stub my toe all the time. Literally and physically. Uh, my daughter, uh, love her. Stayed at her house last night. She's 21. And she had... <laughs> She's trying to kill me this morning. She had this inflatable, like dad number one thing, but it looked like a critter. It was a it was a it was um like a trophy, number one dad. But it looked like it had arms, and literally I come downstairs at like four fifty this morning, the lights are off, and I see this thing hovering in our bathroom. Like, cause when you walk downstairs, the exit to go outside, and then the bathroom door is right there, and I'm like, I come downstairs and I'm like. And then then my eyes kind of caught up with me and I was like, okay, okay, I'm not getting a troll Is not come to murder me in my house because it was short, but I mean, it was big. So thank you, Lydia. I'm sure you didn't do that on purpose, but like you really got my blood pumping this morning. And so today uh, we're going to talk about this idea of testing your faith. And I don't like tests. No one, like, maybe you were the one student in the classroom that's like, we got a pop quiz today. Everybody else is like, no, no, I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. And that's what we're going to talk about today, this idea of being tested. And, and do not think that being tested is a negative thing. So let's pray before we get into the word. Uh, Heavenly Father, we invite you. Uh, Lord, you are already here, but we invite you into this moment as we read your word, Lord, that you would stir in us a desire to walk out the wisdom that you are going to lay out for us today. So thank you for your word. Thank you for today. And we ask you in Jesus' name to motivate us to be people that walk out what we say we believe. In Jesus' name, amen. So the chapter 1 starts off with verse 1. It says, James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes of the dispersion. So Stephen was one of the deacons that they set in charge of helping feed the widows. Because there was a segment of widows that were being overlooked. And so the apostles were like, we, we're to preach the word. We need people to do this other thing. So they set up their first deacon, Stephen being one of those. And he preaches a sermon so good that they stone him. Because the sermon was pointing to Jesus, and they didn't like that. And they literally stoned Stephen to death. And, and you get to see Paul... There, a future Paul that we'll read a lot about in the future, if you read into the New Testament, he's wrote mo- a lot of the epistles outside of the Gospels. He's there approving of this murder. So after this murder happens of Stephen, the church is persecuted and they're pushed out. And honestly, thank the Lord that Stephen was stoned. Because we have a tendency to stay in comfort, and and not that the church wouldn't have expanded, but the church would not have expanded like it did until it was forced to go out into different areas. And so when he says that he's writing this to the 12 tribes, he's writing this to the Jewish believers who have believed on Jesus, and because of the persecution, has been pushed out to all the areas. And he's writing a letter that's meant to go out and be read to these people as an encouragement. One cool thing uh, about this is uh, our Bible's in English. It wasn't originally written in English. I don't know if you knew that or not. Fact right there. Um, So James is translated James into English, but in the Hebrew, it's actually the same word as Jacob. little fun fact there. Um, And one little symbolic of this is that the father of those twelve dry tribes was Jacob, and in the Old Testament, Jacob addresses the twelve tribes of Israel in Genesis 49. So it's kind of this, this cool thing where you're you're seeing um, God continually addressing his children. See, the church at this time was being heavily persecuted. There there weren't um, church, like there wasn't this like where you could come in and you don't have to worry about anyone from outside coming in and threatening you, taking your property, pushing you out. There was persecution that was happening. Another thing that you'll see throughout this first chapter is the first chapter summarizes the majority of what you're going to see in the rest of the chapters. It'll introduce ideas and terms that will be repeated in details later on. I've already said the fill of this book comes out to be like Proverbs. If you read Proverbs in the Old Testament's book of wisdom, it's like, hey, if you do this, if you do this wise thing, you'll get this other thing. And that's partly what James is it's instructing us on how we can live. What, most of what you're going to hear in the coming weeks will sound familiar if you've read the Gospels. Uh, there are a lot of things that Jesus has said that James is going to remind the readers. And so in verse 2, we get probably one of the most, conf- not confusing, maybe most frustrating verses in the Bible. Uh, and it's mirror, and it's not just James. First uh, Peter also talks about this. Romans 5 also talks about this. This isn't a theme. Some people don't like James. Some early um, Christian fathers didn't like James because it, it pokes the hole of, like, just very easy grace. And James, which we'll talk about very clearly, doesn't say that we have to do works to earn our salvation, but our faith should be seen by what we do. So I think, not to get up on a little soapbox, that I think the majority of the issue that's going on in the church in America is we have lots of information, and we don't have much application. So we declare things on our Facebook and our Instagram and other things, but when we're face-to-face with people, we're not acting in the way that we say that we believe. And that's what James is. It's confronting us over and over again. See, I have a a mini version of the Holy Spirit. Her name is Jody. Hey, babe. Um, I don't really understand. Sometimes when I'm interacting with people, I guess, I don't know if I've lost some of the muscle control that I used to have my face to smile and look nice. And she's like, you just look really mean, especially when it's like customer service related. And I'm like... As soon as I leave it, and I feel like I did, you know, like good job, like yeah, I was nice, I looked kind, and she's like, oh, you were rude. So, um, so we need people in our life to be like, hey, the, what you think you're reflecting? You're not reflecting. And thankfully, God gave me my wife, and she loves me. Thank you, babe. Thank you. So here's verse two. It Says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I would say everybody in this room would raise your hand and say, I want to be whole and complete and lacking in nothing. Everybody. The only reason you would say no is because you know what I'm getting ready to say is the only way that you get there is through trials and tribulations. Another, I've been reading this other book on shepherds, uh, a shepherd's view of Psalms 23, and it's this beautiful idea, and I would say a great comparison or companion to be reading with this is reading Psalms 23. Because though I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll feel no Who who evil. Who took them there? It's like you can't get to the place that God is taking you without these things. And I I know some of you in this room are in the middle of trials and tribulations, and you do not look favorably like, oh, man, this is joy of the Lord. Joy of the Lord. Joy of the Lord. Like, I'm I'm grateful that my finances are a wreck. Amen. I'm grateful that my relationships are strained. Amen. Joy. We don't think that way. And my whole purpose for today, as we go through the word, is the only way that we can navigate this world is to begin to think that Jesus is actually who he said he is. And that Jesus is sovereign over all things. Romans eight twenty eight. not going to be on the screen um, behind us. It says, all things happen for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, the truth is, is these words were to the believer. So it's hard to count it all joy if you don't have a reason to count it joy. We have a reason, which we'll explain as we get into the rest of the text today. We have a reason to count it all joy. None of us, including me, have ever come through an easy season in our life and said, man, I have grown the most personally, spiritually, like I am a better person. We just don't do that. And if you've perfected the seasons of ease, growth, I mean, I'm talking about real growth. I'm not talking about like it was easy and so you did, you know, two things during that. But I'm talking about like real personal growth. I think everybody in here, if we were to sit down and have a conversation, you would say you've grown the most after or during the most difficult time in your life. I know I have. Because... If you're anything like me, you don't want to be uncomfortable. And if you don't want to be uncomfortable, you won't do anything that will make you uncomfortable. And, And most of the gospel, most of the Bible is leading you into uncomfortable things. Deny yourself. Evangelize. Like how many people are just like, we should be thinking like, man, I get to share the Lord with people. But like walking into Walmart, just go to Walmart later today and be like, today's the day. Somebody's about to get saved. And I'm not talking about, like, getting on the microphone and be like, Jesus is Lord. I'm talking about, like, relationally expressing the gospel. I mean, like, if you've been on social media, if you've watched the news, the betrayal of Christianity is horrible. And I think that's twofold. I think, one, we have a lot of stupid people that should keep their mouth closed. So that, I don't want to say like it's all the media, the media is the devil, but I do believe that the media <laughs> kind of is. Um, if it's not for us, it's against us. And why would it want to portray Jesus? If you've ever known this or seen this, uh, in almost all world religions, people will be tolerant of other than Christianity. Christianity has a whole, like for me, that's one of the things that I'm like, man, this is real. Because like everybody else is like, yeah, we play nice with Jesus. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Don't say the name. Whole different day, but he's saying count it all joy. How do we get to that place? And that's what we're going to close on today. How do we get? Because it's coming. Trials and tribulations, even if you've been through one or two before, there's more coming. As long as we live in this world, as long as you take breath, there will be difficult days ahead. See, Christianity isn't follow Jesus and those all go away because he's writing this to the church that is being persecuted, that is losing property, that is being pushed out into the middle of nowhere, and they're struggling financially. I'm not talking about like... Oh, man, I don't have enough to like buy the new Apple Watch. I'm talking about like they don't have enough to eat. I mean, their struggle is real with what's going on with them. And he's telling them, James, who's going, you, we see it in his own life. He's willing to die for this gospel. Is telling the church, count it all joy. Because if you don't, truthfully, if you don't count it all joy, you will become bitter. And that bitterness will move to anger, and you'll be angry at the one source that you don't need to. You get angry at God. God, why have you done this to me? And one thing that I, I, I want to say at the beginning, it's in here so I may say it again. Um, God's goal in all of this is never to destroy you. It feels like that. It feels like he's out to get me. He's on. But every one of those things, everything that he's ever going to do is for your good. And almost always, almost always, at some point as we pursue Jesus, as we um, connect to him, he'll show us the good of that horrible thing. I have, I'm 47 years old and I've had lots of things that have happened to my life that in the moment I would have given anything to get out of them, to not suffer, to not have this experience. But now I would not be the man that God has brought me to this point without those like, don't erase the things that God is doing and don't avoid them now because God is interested in you being whole and complete more than you are. And he will do everything in his power to do so because in that, in that whole incompleteness, you will enjoy him more and you will be kingdom focused and you will love people in a way that you're designed to. Because we have to die in that. And if we can count it all joy, we will begin to die to what we think or expect. And the only way we can do that is having this overarching theme over us is that I trust you. Some of us us in this room right now with situations that are going on in your life, you have to declare it is the only way to sanity is to go, God, I trust you and I believe that you're good. I believe that you have good things for me. See, so a perspective changes everything. Two people can go through the same things but have different perspective and their outcomes being completely different. Have you ever met those people that you're just like, how? Like, how? The, the guy that's writing this book on the shepherd, like, it, talking about, he's talking about, though um, I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, and his wife died of cancer. He said, these things that we get, he said, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't like the process. I didn't like seeing my wife leave. But I, <laughs> I got to experience something that God got to deal with some things in me. And I get an opportunity to share. He said, because some of the things that you've gone through that have been the most painful in your life, God is going to use to reach the gospel in other people's lives. See what tomorrow? What would tomorrow look like if you just changed this one idea? What would tomorrow look like if literally everything—traffic? I have one of my buddies. He called me. He pastors a church in Supply. He lives in Shalot. They're building. Um, they're getting a building. It does happen. It will happen here one day. Pray for it. Invest in it. You see that box back there? You can put as much money in there as you want. And one day we'll have a building. Um, but on the way, he called me at like 7:15 this morning. He was like, "Have you been outside?" And I was like. Yes, I just went for a walk. Um, He's like, I'm on 17 driving up from Shalot. in the <laughs> anybody know that our world's on fire, literally in Brunswick County. He was like, I'm going five miles an hour on 17. I can literally There's a cop in front of me with his flashers on and I'm here with my flashers on. We're going five miles an hour. I cannot see. We might have to cancel the church <laughs> because of an uncontrollable Forest. Fire, but what if in that moment you're like God's in this? I mean, God is literally in everything. Now, some of our own stupidity, God's going. I, I, I gave you wisdom to not do that, and some of, and I would say the majority of our suffering, majority comes from us, which we're going to talk about that in James. It comes from our unwillingness to decide with wisdom that I shouldn't do this or that, and so we go into verse. Five, it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So he's saying, oh, man, like counting all joy. And we may be like, I don't know how to count it joy. And he's saying, hey, if you need wisdom on how to do these things, if you need this, then ask God who gives generously without finding reproach. Like, I think a lot of times we refuse to have conversations with God because we're like, he won't listen or he's mad at me. What, what if we literally thought he's for me and he wants my heart more than anything in the moment. And this is the thing that you'll see from the beginning of the Bible to the end. The moment you're willing to cry out to God, he rescues and redeems. It may not be in the way that you want it, in the time that you want it. But he rescues and redeems. Verse six, it says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in his ways. And what he's saying, hey, because we, we saw this. I actually preached on it a little bit ago with this father that was looking for his, a healing for his son. And, and Jesus said, do you believe? And he said, yes, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. God is okay with you saying, I'm struggling here. I'm I'm struggling believing this, but I want to trust you. What he's saying is we we can't, because a lot of us will come in this like, okay, well, I'm going to step onto the God square for a minute. I'm going to say one little Hail Mary prayer, and I'm going to give him 28 seconds to answer it. Well, I didn't answer it. God doesn't love me isn't working for me, doesn't want me. He's saying, hey, if you're going to declare, just believe. And some of that belief is trust even when it doesn't happen in your time frame. If you didn't know this, this uh, but one day um, to the Lord is a thousand years for us. <laughs> He's not slow. He's going exactly at the pace that he needs for you. I heard this said one time, said that if you knew everything that God knew, you would answer prayers just like he does. So we don't, we're, we're, we're closed in this perspective of going, I need this right now. And God's saying, if I give you that, it's not good for you. And so that double minded is saying, Hey, we, we just have to stand in this place and go, God, I need, I need wisdom. Like I need help. I don't know how many times I'm sitting over there during worship going, God, if <laughs> I need you. Like, I don't haphazardly come up here and be like, hey, here's, here's the word for the day. I'm like, God, I don't have what it takes to give this church what this church needs. I need your wisdom. Verse 9. It says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Which, this is a crazy couple of verses, and I'll try to do my best to explain it. "...and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises and scorches in scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower fails, its beauties perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits." <laughs> okay, the people that he's writing this to are struggling financially. They're, they're, they're in poverty. And the first line is: It says, "Let the lowly brother, the poor, boast in his exaltation." How, how many of you are like, "Hey, poor, woo, yes, poor"? We're, we, we don't walk around like with our bank account on our um, like in our name tag, like, "Hey, I've got three dollars, three dollars." You got two fifty? Anybody less? Anybody less? We don't boast in that. And, and, and here's what he's saying is the rich will boast in their riches. And this isn't saying, what you'll notice here, it says, lowly brother, brother. So we're assuming, by the way this is written, that the poor person here is referring to is a Christian. And when it refers to the rich, it doesn't use the phrase brother. And it says, everything that they go after is going to be withered away. Everything that you're chasing after, everything that you're fighting for, everything that you want right now, everything that if someone took from you or scratched or whatever, dented, you would be mad is going to go away. It's going to wither. It's going to fail. It's going to rust. It'll be gone. And so he's saying for us in poverty, how can we boast in our exaltation? We can boast in it because... Their identity is not in their wealth Their identity is in who they are Their exaltation is that they are a child of god, which is greater Than the riches that will fade And for all of those in the room that are going yeah those stupid rich people They're the worst aren't they aren't they the worst i'm going to ruin your day right now Ruin your day um if you make, and you will have to raise your hand for this, if you make more than $34,000 a year, $34,000 a year, you're in the global elite. You make more money than 96.3% of the population. So all those dumb rich people are all you sitting in this room unless you make less than $34,000 a year. And you may. You'd be like, yeah. But still, if you make like probably 15, you're like 94% or 92% wealthier than the majority of the world. See, the most dangerous thing that I think that we deal with is possessions. And I don't know about you. And I know I've told you all about my issue with Amazon. But, like, I've been on it. I need need some accountability because, like, I've been feeling the itch. I'm not just feeling the itch. I've been walking in the itch. I've been, you know, like, need some chamomile. I'm itching so bad, buying things. You know, it's Father's Day coming up, so I'm going to treat myself. Treat yourself. Um, and, you know, because you think, and the, the danger is here is saying, hey, we need to boast in the thing that we can boast on, which is our identity in Christ, which is why this is so critical, which is why we can count it all joy, because we are his child. And he wants good things for his children. I may not be the best father, but by goodness, I'm going to do everything in my power to love my kids and give them what I think they should need. I mean, she said, "Number one, dad, it's on the thing." So she agrees. She agrees. She was going to bring it to church, which she totally should have. I could have had it up here with me, like, hey, hey, guys, just in case you didn't know, number one, dad. <laughs> But we have to boast in the things that matter. And and that's what he's talking about because he's speaking to a people that don't have any possessions to be like, look at me. Like I'm wearing nice things. I have nice possessions. And most of the persecution that they're experiencing is from the wealthy. It's from people that have things. So my question for you coming out of these few verses is what are you trusting in? What gives you your security? Like, do you look at your bank account and like, okay, we're safe? Do you look at your house and go, okay, whew, look, this is my house. Look what I have. Do you, do you get in your car and be like, yeah, I drive this car. Do you ride by other cars? My paint is like flaking off the top of my truck, which like it hurts my pride a little bit. Um, but it's got like 236,000 miles on it, but I'm like, It's all right. It's all right. I think about, like, what can I do about that? Should I get painted? And it really, it's, it's a 14-year-old truck. It should just stay the way it is because I want people to look at me and go, like, why didn't he wax the top of his truck? If he would have just waxed the top of his truck, that would have never happened. You know what I never did in the eight years that I've owned that truck? Wax the top of the truck. <clears throat> uh, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 24. It says you know you, you do not know sorry do you not know that in a race all runners run but only one receives a prize. You ever gone to a race where they, I mean, I know in our day and age, like, everybody gets participation trophies. But, like, back when I was in school, like, you know, you got to be first, second, or third to get something. Everybody else is like, you too slow. So, um, Paul here is writing to this idea that, like, we should be running for intentional. Like, we we don't go just go out there to run. Like, they're doing everything they can to get the prize. It says, so run in a way to obtain it. Every out- athlete expects exercises, self-control, and all things. Uh, think about Olympic athletes. They spend their life regulating everything that goes into their mouth. Every exer- They do hours and hours and hours and hours of workouts a week to just to get to this place that they're running, they're playing, they're doing this event, everything. They don't, they don't, they don't stay up late. They're not playing video games. They're dedicating their life. It says they do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable. This is the crown of life that they're talking about. Verse 26, it says, I, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, least after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. God is a promise keeper that's what he says he says which god has promised to those who love him it doesn't say for all of those are perfect and hear this as we're going through james the goal isn't perfection because it is not attainable as long as we live in this sin-filled earth in our sin-filled flesh we will be battling just like he's saying here we'll be training we'll be beating our body not literally we're not into the mortification of the flesh We're, you know, like, OK, like I saw this, you know, where we get whips and, you know, none of that. But we should be intentional with what we're doing. See, following him is worth the price. Verse 13, it says, let no one say that he is tempted. I'm being tempted by God. <laughs> For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. How many of us have had conversations with people? It wasn't my fault. It would not like if, if A, B, and C didn't happen, that would have never happened. It, it's it's kind of your fault. <laughs> A lot of it. I don't want to say 100%, but most of it is when we're lured away by our own desire. It says, then desire, when it is conceived, give birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. See, God's children, he is trying to build you, not destroy you. And I think some people need to hear that today. God is not after you to destroy you. God is after to build you. From the original, and I love this, it changed the way I looked at God. Because I struggle with this idea of I want to please God. I want God to be happy with me. And if I do something wrong, he's not going to be happy with me. And so I struggled with this idea of like I want to make God happy. And I I remember reading this in a devotional early on. Adam and Eve sinned and they hid, which is hilarious, that they would hide from God. But they hid, and you know what God did? He didn't tear through the garden, ripping trees out. Where are you, little rotten blankety-blanks? He came into the forest and and called out to Adam and Eve. He knew where they were. It's like children, you know, like, here's what I'm hiding behind. And be like, Mom and Dad are never going to find me god pursued them and let me just tell you this whether you know it or not and i think if you're in this room god's in the in the business of pursuing you god's after you and sometimes he uses things in your life he doesn't cause the temptations he isn't the one listen to this in john 10, 10 here's the um the difference here it says a thief comes to kill steal, and destroy that's the devil He comes to get rid of you jesus he says i came that you may have life and have it abundantly that's his goal and he'll do whatever it takes to get you to that abundant life because that's where you're going to be most satisfied that's where you're going to be most happy which happy is a dangerous word in my opinion so where is your desire leading you? Where 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 is your struggle? Where is that thing that's just controlling you? Because um, if this goes the pattern, it, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's fully grown, leads to death. Look at this comparison right here in verse 16. It says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with him whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought, brought us forth by the true word of truth, that we should be the kind of first, fruit, first fruits of his creation. Look at this. Look at the difference or the contrast between verse 15 and verse 18. 15, you have birth, you have sin being born into us, and where does that lead? Death. Sin brings forth death, God brings forth life. See, salvation, the first century believers were the first fruits of. Of a spiritual harvest that is still going on today. You are in this room because they were the first fruits. And hear this. You may be the first fruits in your family. You may be the first fruits in your neighborhood. You may be the first fruits at your job. God is in the business of building people up so that others may experience him the same way. And I want to go back to verse 16. It says, every good and perfect gift that has come from above, and that will not change. God is in the business of giving us the things that we need. And he's going to use trials and tribulations, not cause them. He's going to use trials and tribulations to shake off the other things that are ruling and dominating our life. That are breaking relationships, that are dist- dist- distorting the way we interact with other people. So, how do you ready yourself for trials, testings that will be coming your way, and for some in this room are already here? The only way that you can ready yourself is to abide, be planted, be connected to the source. The only way to prepare yourself is be in the habit of being connected to the one. Because the more connected you are, the more when these things come, you don't. And I'm a I'm a warrior like things happen and my brain just starts cycling and like, oh, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And God's been really trying to work on me over the last 10 years of planning this church of going, I got this. Like even in my stupidity, I, I wrote this quote down. I love it. It says, do not be so arrogant that you think God cannot use your failures. Because, like, man, there's lots of times that I've failed, and I'm like, I've ruined it. I've ruined it. Church is done. Church is done. You know, like, uh, whatever the thing is, nothing major. Don't get like, "Oh, what has he done? Um, <clears throat> but, like, things, it's like you get there, and I, I have to have the whisper of God going, I've got this. Because he uses even our brokenness to bring healing out of us and to others. So the way that you do that is you learn to trust the Father. It's the only way. I'd love to say here's eight things. If you did these eight things every day, every time the new trial and tribulation comes that you'll have no struggle at all. But that's not true. The only truth is getting in the habit of telling yourself every day, I trust you. Wake up in the morning. Wake up tomorrow morning and just say, God, I don't know what today is going to bring, but I trust you with whatever comes. And that might be something that you have to do, you know, every hour of the day. God, I don't know what this next hour is going to bring. And some of us, we need to do it, you know, maybe half hour increments. God, I don't know what this next half hour is going to bring, but I trust you. Because God is good. See, if you are a child of God, trust him with the process. And the sad part of this is most of God's processes that we see all throughout the Gospels and all throughout the Old Testament are long. There's rarely, you might see healings that take place in a moment, but change and preparation for people, it is over time. So don't get discouraged about where you're at right now as long as you're on the journey. And just trust that God tomorrow is going to do more in me that needs to be done. So if you want to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, embrace the trials and tribulations. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. Embrace the mess that's going to come. And and for all of those fathers, happy Father's Day, by the way. For all of those fathers in the room um, that feel like, man, I think Father's Day, like Mother's Day at least at church, a lot of times it's like, you're the best. Thanks, moms. Father's Day is like, guys, do better. Do, do better. I mean, you feel, I, I, got a, I literally got an email this morning. It's kind of like saying, hey, pastors, hey, pastors, like, let's remember that, you know, let's, let's give some, the guys some encouragement. Uh, I just want to tell you um, that everything that you've done has not been a failure. Maybe there's things that you haven't done good or right. But let me just tell you, you have done things that have been good and you have done things that will bring fruit forward. And here's the beauty of the gospel. Regardless of what happened through all of the days and years that have led up to this moment, God can change it. So let's say that we have a sampling of the worst fathers that have ever existed in this room right now. And some of you may feel that way. Let me just tell you that God is bigger than that. You know what? If you've got breath in your lungs, God has the capacity to do something with you. And so where I want to leave all of us this morning... Because some of us are in the middle of it. Some of us are in this place to say, God, I need a rescue. I need a redemption for what's going on. He says to ask. Another place in the Gospels, it says to ask and keep on asking, knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be open. It's a persistence thing. So what I encourage you today is know that trials are coming. Know that you probably won't manage them perfectly But begin to put God in the place where he is desired to be. That he's in charge. And regardless of what's going on in our word, and I I know, like, I'm not looking forward to another presidential election. I can just go ahead and tell you that. And it's not because of whatever. I don't care who's running. Um, I think we look forward to someone rescuing us. And let me just tell you, and I've said this a lot in this church, uh, there's not a president that's going to save us. There's one Savior, and his name's Jesus Christ, and he is saving us, he is building us, and he is more concerned about what's going on in this world and in your life than anyone else. There's not a government program. There's nothing that's going to remedy the heartache that's going on inside of us other than Jesus Christ. And so you want to count it all joy? The only way you're going to count it all joy is you put your trust in the one. And here's the beauty. We saw Steve make a commitment today in baptism. Um, today could be your day to begin that journey. And hopefully I've said enough to you to you understand that you don't have to fix everything. You don't have to clean yourself up to walk into the grace of Jesus. You just have to get to a point to say, God, I haven't and I couldn't and I never will. And you knew that. And you sent your son here to live a sinless life, the life that... I am meant to live, but could not. Died willingly on the cross, and then proved His power and authority by coming out of the grave. And we trust in His resurrection. If you want freedom from what is ensnared you, Jesus Christ is the answer. And all you have to say in in imperfect words, there isn't like a. a, a um, uh, perfect phrasing that if I say this perfect phrasing everything's going to go perfect you just with a broken heart say god I need you I need you and just trust That his desire is to answer that prayer because that's what he's doing So let's pray Jimmy father lord. I thank you. Um this morning for the chaos <laughs> I thank you for broken microphones. I thank you for things that are out of our control so that we could acknowledge over and over again that you rule everything. And nothing, nothing thwarts the plans that you have set in place. So, Lord, we submit and surrender to your Lordship. We submit and surrender to the plan and the process that you're using to make us whole and complete. Lord, help us be a people that are willing to be steadfast. And a people willing to let steadfastness have its full effect. So, Lord, we can attain the hope of being complete and lacking nothing. Lord, we acknowledge that we are still lacking things, and so we're acknowledging that we still need your grace. And so, Lord, for those in this room, whether it's saying yes to you for the first time or whether it's saying I have this issue that I have not given to you and I lay it at your feet today, do miraculous things in those willing to ask. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church podcast. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com.